Along with uh, Brett, I want to welcome you to Rivermont this morning and invite you to open your Bibles, or one of the few Bibles, to the book of Colossians, to Colossians chapter 1. We'll be exploring verses 1 and 2. Now, if you've been with us winter into spring, you know that we've just finished a sermon series through the Gospel of John entitled That Our World May Know. And to finish that uh, statement from our vision, uh, that the world may know the love of Christ and be filled with the fullness of God. Today, with excitement and anticipation, we begin a sermon series in Paul's letter to the Colossians entitled The Supremacy and Sufficiency of Christ. Lord willing, we'll continue this journey into the fall, which means that Pastor David Weber will join us in this series in mid-August. So God is so very good. Now, Colossians is one of the prison letters of the Apostle written, most scholars believe, while he was a prisoner in Rome. Paul was under house arrest for two years. He was in chains. And it was during this time that he writes three of the letters that we have in the New Testament. Philemon, Ephesians, and Colossians. Perhaps with me you've wondered how Paul remained uh, so secure in his faith while in chains. He knew the blessings of life in Christ, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And dear family, we may also rejoice, for we may enjoy the blessings of life in Christ, even as we experience life's joys and hardships. Now, we all have different ways to express the blessed life. Usually when I hear someone say, I'm feeling really blessed right now, it normally means that you have good health or your finances are roughly in order. Uh, It normally means that your family is intact or you're very uh, thankful for your work. Uh, You may be an optimistic person and you just happen to be feeling good that day. I've heard that from times from people that I know are always joyful, or things are working out today in ways that just makes you seem to be happy. You may have many reasons to be blessed for you to say you have a blessed life, but the Apostle Paul underscores what it means to be blessed in Jesus Christ, and he starts us with that this morning in these profound greetings in Christ in these two verses. So would you please join me as we read Holy Scripture, Colossians 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Our Father in heaven, give us grace each moment to draw our life from you walking in Your steps, enjoying Your fellowship. As we now give attention to Your Word, open the eyes of our hearts that we would behold the wonders of Your love. Holy Spirit, pour light upon these words which You have caused to be inspired and write them upon our hearts. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Now the church at Colossae was one of two New Testament churches, the other being Rome, that Paul never visited before he wrote letters to them. The Colossian church had been planted by Epaphras. He was a native of that city. He was converted and discipled by Paul during Paul's extended stay in Ephesus. It's likely that Epaphras also planted churches in Laodicea and 
in Aeropolis. The church in Colossae met uh, in the home of Philemon, whose runaway slave Onesimus, you may remember, had met Paul and also met Christ during Paul's Roman imprisonment. Paul sent Onesimus back to Philemon, uh, urging him to forgive and welcome back his runaway slave as a brother in the Lord. Now, unfortunately, the Colossian church was being plagued by false teaching. They believed in Christ, but taught that you also must do much more than trust in Christ to experience completeness in Him. And we'll see some of this as this letter unfolds. So Epaphras went to Rome and found Paul under house arrest in chains. And he told him about some of the problems that he was facing. He was asking his spiritual father for some guidance. In response, Paul wrote Colossians and then probably expanded it into the letter to the Ephesians. Now, both epistles are similar in structure and content, yet in Colossians, the emphasis is on Jesus Christ, the sufficient and all-supreme head of the church. And in Ephesians, the emphasis is on the church as the body of Christ, of which Christ is the head. Colossians is focused on protecting the church from false doctrine, and the result is this wondrous letter that we have before us, which exalts the absolute supremacy of Christ and the certain sufficiency for our salvation and for our entire lives that we enjoy in here, in Him. So let me tell you where we're heading this morning in these two verses. There are three questions, basically, with three responses. When you look at verse 1, we can ask the question, how do we know for sure that we are to trust these words of the Apostle Paul? The response is, his authority by the will of God. Secondly, though, in the first half of verse 2, you'll see that the second verse is written in two little paragraphs. In the first half of verse 2, we ask the question, who are we in Jesus Christ? And of course, the response has everything to do with our identity and relationships. And then thirdly, as we look at the second half of verse 2, we want to ask the question, what blessings undergird our daily and eternal life? And of course, you see here in your bulletin, the response are blessings of grace and peace. So let's begin with the first point here, authority by the will of God in verse 1. Now again, as far as we know, Paul never went to Colossae. Yet he led Christ, Epaphras, who in turn planted the Colossian church to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Colossians were evangelized by someone that Paul had evangelized. So Epaphras, we would say, is the Colossian spiritual father. And Paul is their spiritual grandfather that they had never met. So the question is, how would Paul identify himself, introduce himself to a people that he never met? But he could say, from your grandfather in the Lord. He could also say, as your pastor's pastor. He could say, as your friend in Christ, or as your prayer warrior, or as a fellow pilgrim with you. And all of those things would be very true. However, this is what he says. This is what Pastor Brett shared with our children this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Well, why would he choose to introduce himself this way? Well, apostle, as you probably know, means sent one. 
And it's usually used in the Bible regarding the twelve, plus Paul and probably James, the brother of the Lord. These men had seen the risen Lord. They had authority to perform miracles and they were directly appointed by Christ to be about the foundation and founding of the New Testament church. So what Paul is saying to the Colossians and what he is telling you and me, that you can take my words to heart. You can take them to the bank. I am speaking to you the Word of God in apostolic office. I am speaking on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am speaking to you the Word of God. So what unfolds before us every time we come to the Scripture is that what is being written is not mere opinions of men. Paul comes with decisive directions and with decisive truths. He is laying forth the foundation for the Colossians and for us to receive as an apostle by the will of God. Now in this first point, it reminds us of the importance of the authority of the Bible in our own lives. We receive Scripture as authoritative in all matters of life and of faith. When the, scripture, when the Scripture is read, it comes with no arguments to try and convince you of what it is, except itself by the power of the, of the Spirit. It is self-evidently true. By the power of the Spirit, when you read the Scripture, it testifies in your own heart that it is true. It describes what you are like on the inside. It enfolds the mystery of salvation. It is perfect in the scope and plan of our redemption. The Scripture shows forth itself to be what it claims to be, the very Word of God inspired by Him. And it's our job through the illumination of the Holy Spirit to receive it. Now I doubt that there are many in this room that would openly reject God's Scripture. If we did, we wouldn't talk about it amongst fellow church members. However, sometimes we have a certain apathy or an indifference about God's Word. Perhaps we resist thirsting for the Word of God, drinking in the Word of God day in and day out, in private, in family devotions, as well as in corporate study and worship. Perhaps our problem is with a practical denial of the authority of the Word in our lives. We accept the Word as the Word of God, yet sometimes we live in ways which contradict it. For me, Scripture clearly tells me to trust in the Lord with all of my heart, to lean not on my own understanding in all my ways to acknowledge Him, and He will direct my paths. However, I don't always trust Him with those whom I love. Sometimes I think I could do a better job than God Himself in making my paths straight. You see, I say that the Bible has authority over me, but sometimes I live as if it were not the authority in my life. Instead of trust, it means I fret and fear. Okay? Rather, the mark of a, the Christian, what I want to mark my life and your lives, is a love for God's Word. It's the mark of a Christian is to love God's supremacy and sufficiency as, as revealed in the Bible. 
And John Calvin many years ago said that the Bible is the scepter by which the heavenly king rules his church. So I ask you this morning, as we think about this first point, do you have the proper attitude to the Word of God? Do you come to the Scripture expectantly, bowing the knee, ready to be changed, ready to be corrected, ready to be encouraged, ready to be strengthened, ready to be directed? Is that your posture before Holy Scripture? Oh, dear family, may we yield to Christ, receive Scripture as authoritative, accept God's Word as the very Word of life itself. It's heavenly breathed. God breathed. Now secondly, though, we want to deal with our relationships with the Lord and with one another. This has to do with our identity and relationships. We see this in the first half of verse 2 who we are before God and who we are before one another as we believe in Him. And we see, broadly speaking, that God has set apart believers, saints, into a family in Christ. Now, when Paul says to the saints, Paul is addressing those whom he has chosen for himself. Those who have been set apart by God as His own people, saints are set aside by the Lord to worship Him and to serve Him. We have this purpose in our identity. Our relationship to God is underscored by the word saints just as the relationship that we enjoy with one another is underscored by the word in this text, brothers. It includes sisters. Saints, therefore, deals with your relationship to God. Brothers, your relationship to one another. But notice the second thing here in this identity. We are faithful brothers. You and I believe in Christ. And in response to God's own initiative to love us, we are faithful. We become loyal to His calling upon our lives as His dearly dearly loved children. And so I ask, are you loyal to the Lord as a saint? Is He your first priority? Is that our distinctive identity? Oh, the Apostle Paul encourages us to be so, for that is who we are. And notice here that God has set us apart as believers into the family of Christ. Do you see it here? Family that is used. Timothy Back in verse 1, Timothy is not an apostle because he had never seen the risen Christ. But he is our brother. Paul refers to believers. That's you and me as brothers. God is our common father. God becomes your father through the new birth. When he gives you new life and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you share this new life in Christ in common with one another. All of you who have been born again. You begin this relationship with God as your heavenly Father and with all your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, it's always wonderful when you meet another brother and sister in the Lord, no matter where they may be from, perhaps a different country, and you realize that there's a fairly instant bond in Christ. Because you are family in Him. Families by their very nature are set off from the rest of the world. You can crash a party, but it's hard to crash a family. Because you know you join a family by birth, 
by adoption or by marriage. And yes, we may invite others in to enjoy our family relationship. But again, you join God's family as He adopts you as His own son or daughter. And then you are brothers and sisters to one another. That means that there's vulnerable intimacy with God and with those whom you trust. There's shared life. There's mutual care. There's supportive growth with God the Father and with your brothers and sisters. Now notice how this occurs. Our distinctiveness as God's family is possible through, in Paul's favorite phrase, it happens because we are in Christ. Now think of this. Formally, we are born into this world as sinners. Therefore, we are in Adam. Now born into God's family, we are in Christ, the new man. It refers to our secure position before God where He views us as He views His Son. So Paul will tell us in this wonderful book, in Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And in in Christ we have been made complete. We've been made whole. We are total in what we are meant to be. And so as Paul also proclaims in Ephesians chapter 1, in Christ God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We inherit everything we need for life and godliness in Christ. Oh, family, do you realize how secure you are in God? When He is the one who has set you aside, you are secure in Christ because now Christ is at the right hand of Father, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. You're secure. God has given us His Word to the apostles. He has set us apart into His family. That is who we are, chosen by God to be His saint, placed in His family as faithful brothers and sisters, rooted in Christ for all eternity. Now for our graduates from high school, trade school, college, and for the families that are here today as we celebrate, Yes, from God's Word, I encourage you to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Just like I need to do daily. And to embrace your identity as a saint, as a faithful believer, as a brother and sister in Christ. Parents, you do the same. Smiles. Now that leads us to our final point here, the ongoing blessing that we have as recipients of God's unmerited favor. You know, as we think about the blessed life, while these things are good, it's not how much money you have or what kind of health you really enjoy. It's not how well your family is doing. It's not that you have a great job or that you live in this great land. It's none of those things. Rather, we have blessings of grace and peace. This is the final part of verse 2. Think of this. We are being loved by the grace of God each and every moment. 
being loved not because you do something, but because He graces, He loves you with nothing in you but the need to be loved. You contribute nothing but the sin that makes His love necessary. You contribute nothing to this grace. It's all of Him. That is why Paul says, grace to you from God the Father. That's the blessing upon the church of Jesus Christ for you and for me. We are leaning upon His unmerited love so you don't worry about your own performance. You don't worry about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in your hearts because it's freely given to you. God's grace in Christ Jesus is a motivating, it's a liberating power that gives victory over sin and the desire to draw near to our loving Father. You know, Thomas Manton, the Puritan, said many things years ago, but this is one thing that he wrote, that there is no chemistry like grace. Where grace is, it reigns. And it is the dominant thing in that experience. So dear family, have you tasted that kind of grace? Do you know what it is to be favored by God, to be brought into fellowship with Him, to know the sweetness of fellowship with Him by the Spirit? Is it the desire of your heart? Now, in Paul's greeting, he calls you to examine yourself in this area of God's grace. For grace has deep implications for us from the very moment we meet Christ. For example, the grace of God is the power of God's Spirit convicting and converting the soul. It is also the movement of God whereby He saves and justifies the individual through faith. Therefore, grace is not something that we just embrace in our minds. Something that we just believe. It is something that we experience as well. And there's more for grace, for it's not only the divine act by which God initiates our spiritual life. Grace is also the very power by which we are sustained, sustained, and nourished and proceed through life day in and day out. It's the energizing and sanctifying work of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And after Paul had prayed, you recall three times, for God to deliver His thorn from His flesh. Do you remember how He was answered? My grace is sufficient for you For my power is made perfect in weakness. Although Paul undoubtedly derived encouragement and strength to face his daily trials by reflecting on the magnificence of God's unmerited favor, he also knew what it was to experience that favor day in and day out. It's a wonderful thing to know that grace abides with us each day. Thanks be to God for His amazing, abiding, powerful grace. But secondly, know that we are also blessed by God the Father in having a life of peace. You know, in the New Testament, peace or shalom basically means that the wrath of God is removed from you and from me who trust in Him by the blood of Jesus Christ shed upon the cross. Therefore, 
God's anger is removed and you have peace from God and His peace to you is that you have the peace of God in your hearts. Now, peace comes from the Old Testament word shalom. It refers to total well-being. We both inward and outward through Christ, we have peace with God. We have peace with one another. And because Christ is lovingly supreme and He is all-sufficient, we even experience inner peace even in the most adverse of circumstances. And it means, dear family, that you have purpose in life to take this peace to one another and to the world that is around us. We have that purpose for the rest of our lives. That's shalom. It's in Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 14, Shalom, I leave with you. My shalom, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Oh, there's that word again for graduates and their families. Jesus is saying that the only way to have peace, the Old Testament and the New, is by being in Him, by faith in Him, by being in Christ. And no matter, friends, what your life looks like externally, no matter your circumstances, you have grace and peace in your lives as you abide in your Savior, you are blessed. For Christ is supreme and sufficient For you rest in His grace and His peace both now and forevermore. Wow! All this in saying, Dear Colossians, sincerely Paul, let us pray. Father, we thank You for the life we have in Christ Jesus. May we enjoy and praise You for this life that we may proclaim the grace and peace throughout the world. Forgive us for looking to other things to make us happy or to fulfill our lives. And help us to denounce all of the distortions of the gospel around us that our souls may be kept only for our relationship with you, our Savior. This is our prayer, dear Father, for we have been loved with an everlasting love. We give ourselves to that everlasting love, grace and peace in Jesus' name. Amen.